How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? CuriosityStream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com gift. Do you know someone on your holiday gift list that's looking to cut costs? Consider a Henson razor. Henson razors use quality standard blades that only cost 10 cents each. That means you'll only be spending pennies a month on blades. Compare that to multi-blade cartridges that cost 20 to 30 times more. Over a couple years, that special someone on your list will save hundreds and get a safe and smooth shaving experience along the way. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It's the Custard TV podcast, the podcast for TV fans, run by TV Obsessives. Your obsessives this week are the editor of the website who's just lost three weeks of his life writing a long piece on the site that you can now read now. Uh, that's Luke. Uh, Matt's here as well. Even though you only started it a week and a half ago, how did you? Yeah, yeah three weeks? it feels like longer. Go on, and you're here as well. Hello. I'm here as well, and I did help with that article, even though you haven't credited me at all on any of your. <laughs> well, uh, did you? And yes, also... I wrote. I wrote at least five entries. Yeah, did you? No, I can't see any physical <laughs> written proof of that. Sophie Davis in London. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How have you been to the theatre? A lot since we last spoke because I feel that's all you do yes now. <laughs> yes basically yeah I've fallen behind with tv I need to like put the theatre on the back burner for a bit and then uh, watch some more tv I went to see a new musical this week called Tammy Faye which Ooh. is like a sort of exciting one like written by Elton John and Jake Shears and the script is written by James Graham who wrote um quiz and wow. stuff like that so I've that's... not heard of this at all I'm so out the loop yeah, it's just started. It's in a really small theatre at the moment because they're just sort of trying it out. Um, but I assume it's probably going to go into like a big West End theatre next year, probably, because wow. it's been uh, going down really well. It's uh, it's about Tammy Faye Baker and it's very sort of like camp and the music's very Elton Johnny. It's really good. It's very camp with music written by Elton John and Jake Shears. I do not believe... <laughs> Who'd have thought it? James jokes? Graham seems like an odd fit in there, though. Apart from Quiz, I think he's written a lot of theatre like mm. that's quite political mm. before. With Tammy Faye, there's a lot of stuff in there about like televangelists and like religion in the USA mm. and linking it in like Ronald Reagan appears in the show and things like right. that. So that bit does seem a little bit James Grahamy and it is quite um funny as well. You enjoy a musical. Who are you talking to, me or Who are you talking Sophie, to? Sophie, Sophie, yeah. I don't think Matt has a strong view on musicals. Sophie, though, do you have... I'm, yeah, I'm a massive musical fan. I mostly see musicals, to be honest. I sometimes see plays. Yeah, I'm mainly a big musical This is kid. a woman who hosts an S Club 7 podcast, Luke. Oh, yeah, I know, but I'm talking about real music. But the, the, the thing is, my, my issue with it isn't... I'm, I'm not... I'm not not a fan of the music because I think a lot of the musical songs are choreographed and produced well and put together well. It's more how they weave them into the story and whether it's awkward. How do you think Tammy Faye uh, manages that? 
No, I think it works really well. And I think that is probably because of like James Graham. And because I think often with musicals, you can get, you know, these are like amazing songs and then the script of like, you mm. know, the dialogue and stuff isn't as yeah. strong. Like a lot of musicals kind of fall down in those scenes and you're just like waiting for the next song. Um, but I think, yeah, using someone like James Graham weaves it all together really well. Sophie, and I bloody love a musical listeners, unless you were wondering. <laughs> you bloody love? What's your favourite? Um, well, I went to see Hairspray. Was it last year oh, or the yeah. year before? That yeah. was very good. Um, I love Little Shop of Horrors as well. Is one of oh, my yeah, that's one of my favourites. I haven't seen a stage musical really ever, so maybe I've just not experienced Never. it in the correct way. No, no, not that I can think of. Oh, no, well, I not, think that's no. something I need to take expe- you to do. I've not experienced it in the correct setting, clearly, oh, and yeah. uh, that's probably why I hollow inside. Um, oh, one of many reasons. One of many reasons, <laughs> uh, my psychiatrist tells me. Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. So, um, on the podcast this week, we are going to be returning to the White Lotus, we're going to be returning to New Jersey or Staten Island with the What We Do in the Shadows crew, and there is a new series on Netflix from Giri Hadji creator Joe Barton called The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself, plus Stephen Levitan of Modern Family has done a clever idea on a sitcom where the cast of an old show get rebooted by Hulu in 2022 with all the differences and things that happen there so we're going to be talking about reboot which lands on disney plus this week as well first of all though sophie we mentioned them how for are we doing on the old s club front are we any further forward no <laughs> it will be coming soon it's just one of those things where life keeps getting in the way hopefully maybe do some recordings in like december maybe and get some new episodes mm. out early next year your other podcast about the work of Julia Davis, any movement on that? Or are you still theatring? Yeah, no movement on that. I, I'm in a, a position where I've only really got camping left to do. It all sort of got put on hold in the pandemic and then I haven't really gone back to it yet because uh, that one requires quite a lot of prep. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I will get around to camping at some point, hopefully next year. That that and that kind of that is kind of my favourite of her series, I think. So, yeah, I have to rewatch it. Yet another poor casualty of COVID, the Prawns <laughs> and the Milky Basket podcast. Our podcast is up weekly. You can find it on all your podcast apps. Please write a review for us and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can also be part of the show by getting in touch either via Twitter uh, through me at Lucaster TV through the podcast Twitter at Custard TV Pod or via our email Custard TV Reviews at gmail.com. We also have a join the team section on the website if you'd like to get in touch about writing about your favourite television for us as well. And as I mentioned on the site, the BBC turned 100 this year and I decided to compile a list of my personal favourite 100 shows that the BBC have done in my lifetime. So from 1983 till now uh, and I've put them all up there with some details about each one and why why they deserve to be there and I've had some lovely communications from people on Twitter about that. We've also got 
Amy's um, review of the latest season of The Handmaid's Tale, which I've seen the majority of and is absolutely fantastic. What they're doing is each episode is on all four and Channel 4, but then also on Prime Video for some reason. So there's plenty of ways to find it, but it is a great new series, so check that out as well. Let's start, though, with the return of The White Lotus on HBO and so on Sky Atlantic here. Sophie, we didn't talk to you about The White Lotus before. How did you feel about the first season? I loved it, yeah. I think it was one of my favourite shows of last year. Obviously, when another series was commissioned, I was kind of a little bit sceptical at first because it was intended to just be a limited series. But I think it does work, the fact that it's just like another White Lotus resort. It's mostly mm. different characters, um, it, you know, almost like an anthology sort of mm. series. I think it's worked really well that they brought it back. And Matt and I did a deep dive into the first series, which unfortunately has got lost on my computer and never went up. But you loved it. I yeah. wasn't a fan of the way that they ended it because none of the rich characters got their comeuppance and all the sort of put upon characters were the ones who suffered at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. But um, it is quite a dark show, you know. It, I know I always bring everything back to Julia Davis, but it almost feels a little bit Julia Davis-y. It's all these horrible people together and you're just kind of squirming at all mm. these awkward interactions. Um, and yeah, there isn't necessarily like a hero or, you know, a villain who you think, oh, I can't wait until they get their comeuppance. We're just watching it play out, really, and seeing, you know, through our fingers what's going to happen. I know. Well, this series takes the White Lotus uh, to Sicily. The series opens as the first one did with some bodies washing up on the beach. We find out that these were guests staying at the Sicily version of the White Lotus. As the first series did, the action then flashes back to see the new crop of guests arriving via the boat. The only returning cast from season one are Tanya, the brilliant Jennifer Coolidge, and her husband Greg, who she met in the first season. Although they're clearly having problems, he hasn't replied to any of her text on the boat. He's a bit fractious with her. He's taking phone calls quietly in the bathroom. They have awkward sex. And then he accuses her of eating all the complimentary macaroons and says, you'll never lose weight that way. What are you doing? He's even more frustrated when he learns that she has brought her assistant Portia with her on what is supposed to be vacation for the two of them, which means poor Portia is then confined to her room so that Greg doesn't spot her. Other new guests include Sopranos actor Michael Imperioli as Dom. He's a Hollywood exec who is travelling with his son Albie and his own elderly father, played by the brilliant Murray Abraham. Uh, He's brought them there to connect with his Sicilian roots. Bert is constantly flirting with all the ladies around him and talking about how virile he is. But Dom is clearly in a bad place. His marriage has fallen apart. His daughter's not speaking to him. And he meets with a sex worker in Italy who he's been speaking to online. Meanwhile, also smug money man Cameron, played by Theo Jones, has invited his newly rich college roommate, Gary Hadji's Will Sharp, and his employment lawyer wife, Aubrey Plaza Harper, to join him and his wife for an awkward couple's vacation. But they've got nothing in common. They're stunned when they find out that Cameron and his wife don't vote. They don't watch the news. They've just got nothing in common and have some really awkward interactions. Those are the basic things you need to know about the main characters here. I'm going to go to Matt first, only because we talked about the White Lotus as like a whole thing last time and we didn't talk Mm. about the first opening episode. How did this sit with you? 
I enjoyed it on the whole. I, I think this works because of the sort of translation gap. You know, we're in Sicily this time, so we've got the differentiation, if you will, between the staff who were all Italian speakers and the American guests. I think that helps in a way. These are the outsiders coming into this culture and are basically getting what they want you know, the sights and a sort of a nice meal, nice surroundings. And I think the cast of characters, there's slightly more diversity among them. I think on the whole last time, they were all quite smug and um, self-satisfied, self-interested, perhaps apart from the Alexandra Daddario character who was sort of new into this world. Everyone was quite moneyed, quite used to money. They are here, but in a slightly different way. I think you've got slightly different depictions of, of mid to upper class characters. I think like, for example, the Aubrey Plaza character is almost like our proxy in a way. You know, she's critical, but she's also sort of a part of it in a way. The F. Marie Abraham character is quite broad, but I really quite liked that character. I think the two Italian girls on the outside as well were an interesting pair again sort of almost like our proxy like as the boat comes in they're all there yeah generally quite positive on it so far it doesn't seem to i know luke, luke knows that i had a bit of an issue with the music as well in the first season um, what i know i almost <laughs> i love that off. music i almost kicked him off to be quite honest because that music was so I, I haunting think, and beautiful I, I thought it was a bit overbearing i think i think the music was good but in terms of the way it was used no, you're, in, you're in the atmosphere, it almost made it feel like mm. an otherworldly. I suppose that music and they're nice. You're... They're nice. <laughs> I liked the music here. You know, again, it enhanced this lovely Sicilian setting that we got. Yeah, interested in in where it's going to go, but I think there's a more diverse range of characters which help me more so than maybe the last series. Yeah, I really love the dynamic between uh, the couple played by Aubrey Plaza and Will Sharp Mm. and then like their dynamic with the other couple who they don't really see eye to eye with. I think Aubrey Plaza in particular is amazing. She doesn't necessarily get typecast, but I feel like I associate her with playing quite sort of unhinged characters. And here she's almost like the sort of uptight one and she has like a look of mild disgust on her face a lot of the time. There's a, a great exchange where her husband is talking about the other couple and saying like, oh, you know, I, I know they kind of live in a bubble, but they're, they're fun, aren't they? And she just looks at him and goes, they don't vote, Ethan. <laughs> and just those sort of conversations, I just think are hilarious. And when she's telling the other couple how she is it she has problems sleeping because mm. of everything that's going on in the world. And the other woman just kind of looks at her blankly and is like, what's going on? Like, what are you talking about? Mm. Yeah, I just loved it. Do you think it needed that murder mystery element again, or, you know, mystery death, I suppose, like we had in the first series? It starts with the flash forward, with the coffin being loaded onto the plane uh, with the Jake Lacey character, and here we got almost like a a Jaws parody in a way where the um, it's the wife, the dizzy wife, um, Daphne, Who's going into the sea after telling people she's had the best week, 
and it's almost like going into the water and being surrounded by they say multiple bodies don't they mm, mm. so yeah they say a few guests are yeah. dead so a little bit different from so last do you time. feel again i suppose it's more do we need that thing at the beginning to forewarn us that there are going to be deaths and then the the little hints to who it might be like in the last series we thought it might be Steve Zahn because he that he might have cancer. We thought it might be Jennifer Coolidge's now husband because he, I believe, had had a condition as well. So, mm. um, and here they mentioned things about like scuba diving. Do you think it needs that sort of forewarning, or would it work? without that i think as with season one i kind of quite quickly forgot about that part mm. of it it's not really something that's that. on my mind throughout the whole series i guess for some people it might add a little bit of extra tension you know they might want to keep watching to find out who dies but i think if that's all you care about in the show mm. maybe it's not really for you um because yeah like i just kind of forgot about that part of it quite quickly and then I'm just enjoying I don't know if enjoying is the right word but like you know watching these really awkward conversations and all this sort of tension heightening no I agree I suppose that's the format that that Mike White has come up with but again even with the first season I I kept forgetting all the way through that somebody was going to die and then the more it went on and the more that sort of pounding music added to the stress of everything you sort of remembered or what one of these people doesn't make it to the end of the holiday but it, it didn't play on my mind it didn't it wasn't something i was worried about or thinking about a lot so i suppose that's just the format he's come up with and here again i think i think everything works the thing that surprises me most is aubrey plaza because when she was cast i was like well of course of course she's a white 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 lotus type character anyway because she plays this sort of stroppy, over-sarcastic, monosyllabic character in a lot of things. Just think back to her breakout role in Parks and Rec, I just thought she was going to be doing that sort of character. But what she does here, as Sophie said, is really quite clever, playing on our expectations of her and then turning it on its on its head. There was a great conversation about TV that I've never seen on TV <laughs> before. just feels so lifted from any conversation ever where you're just talking about there's so many platforms and uh, everybody's watching different things and we don't watch Ted Lasso. Oh, we'd love Ted Lasso. And, uh, but he seems to be able to pinpoint and sort of prick our curiosity for awful situations. The dialogue is incredible. The way these people interact is incredible. How long was Neil Armstrong actually on the moon? When did Europe start speaking English? Did Marco Polo really go to China? Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for all things history, plus science, wildlife, and more. What's the real story behind the Mona Lisa? We've got that. What caused the collapse of Rome? We know. Where did we find mankind's earliest ancestor? Come find out. For the holidays, give the gift of curiosity with 25% off gift cards for your curious cohorts. It's holiday shopping season at curiositystream.com slash gift. Everything about it, I just fall under its spell. I think the Sicilian setting is great. I agree with Matt that I love the Italian characters being part of it. I love the Italian manager who is basically running around trying to fix things all the time in the same way. And Mary we know Bartley she doesn't did. die, which is good, so we don't yes, have to... Yes, we know she doesn't <laughs> die. We see her at the beach, coming down to the beach. But yeah, I th I think it's one of my favourite shows. I just absolutely love it. And the dialogue is unlike anything else I've seen. The ability to make you feel awkward is unlike anything else I've ever seen. I don't quite know how you write those things. It's just remarkable. What um, do we think Abraham of... 
bringing Je- Jennifer Coolidge back. Sorry, Luke, you were in the middle of it. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed her. I will always enjoy her. She's great in anything. I feel in a way she was the least interesting piece of the puzzle here, but mainly because we sort of feel like we already know her deal. I was more interested in the others and how their dynamic worked. The three generations of the family were all great. Yeah, I really, really liked it. Really enjoyed it. Put it off because of working on other stuff. Watched it this morning and just fell in love with it all over again. I just think he's he's a bit of a genius. F. Murray Abraham's character is, I've just put, he's living his best life, really. Because, again, he often plays these very sort of stoic old hand characters, doesn't he? Uh, but he are just playing this sex-obsessed octogenarian. There was that scene where the grandson was saying about asking him if his penis still worked and how it would look, and he says, it's a penis, not a sunset. I love yeah. that line. Great. It just feels like, because when you hear about a second series coming, you think, can they do it again? Is there even weight in the story? But it just feels like, yes, of course there is, because he knows what he's doing. I'm invested in all these characters. I don't want them to die. And if it ends up being the sex workers who die, I'll be frustrated as you, Matt, because then he's killed off the most mm. sort of empathetic local Well, only people. one of them is a sex worker, Luke. Sex worker and a friend of a sex worker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if having a, another death looming over the series works. I, I liked everything about it, but it just felt that bit of it was almost like a retread. But then and, you can and... say, well, what's the point? Is the point just following these people to the White Lotus? And Yeah, and... why not? Yeah. Well, yeah, why not? But other, thing, hasn't... other things happened other than the death in the first series, yeah. didn't it? It was about yeah, other things. Yeah. And and yeah. presumably this is about the thing. And actually, the death was only a very small part of like one of the stories, which could have ended in another way. Obviously, I don't know in season two, but I think if you took the death of that character out of season one and something else happened to him, I don't think you would lose anything about it. I don't think it was about that particularly. Yeah, I read an article where I think Mike White said that season two is like a bedroom farce. So that perhaps Mm. suggests something about where things are going, because obviously we've got the two couples with the Mm. like adjoining rooms. There's the three men from the same family. The old one is kind of like pervy. The dad (laughs) has torn the family apart by having all these affairs, which he's still having. The son seems kind of like a nice guy, but we don't really know that much about him yet. Um, yeah, and obviously there's a very awkward sex scene in the first episode with uh, mm. Tanya and her husband. Their marriage isn't going very well. The sex worker is hanging around the hotel. So, yeah, and, sex seems to be a big thing in this the series. Assistant, like, along... Sorry, the Porsche, the assistant who's yes. having the thing with the grandson, but also presumably at some point will end up in that room with Jennifer Coolidge and her husband and... You're right, there's a there's a lot to be done. And obviously, we already had that scene with the, the changing of the swimming trunks, didn't we, as well? Yes, yeah. 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 Like, was that deliberate because he wasn't looking at her? Was Is it like some sort of mind game? Does he actually, you know, fancy her and wants to try something? Yeah, very interesting. Hmm. Uh, the White Lotus Weekly on Sky Atlantic, now the streaming service. And if you, if you are so inclined, it's getting the older house of the dragon treatment and it will be there from 2 a.m if you've not it used to be the first... game of thrones treatment didn't it yeah what i've done is no. i've updated it I've, <laughs> yeah, I've rebooted it as you as we can say later next up though a show i didn't have time to watch due to other commitments but matt and sophie very kindly did so i'll let them talk about the net- yeah. new netflix series from Gui haji creator 
Joe Barton. The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself, it is called, which is an interesting title. As Luke said, it is created by Joe Barton, but it is an adaptation of a trilogy of books uh, by Sally Green called the Half Bad Trilogy. Uh, centers around a character called Nathan Byrne, who is the son of a fairborn witch mother and a blood witch father. And the blood witches are the more sort of dangerous, bloodthirsty witches in a way. His father is Marcus Edge, and he is the world's most dangerous of these. And, and he's known for perpetrating this massacre of a lot of the fairborn witches. So from birth, Nathan is sort of half and half. These fairborn witches visit him on a monthly basis to see if he's going to get angry. They ask him a series of questions about his anger. They cut his arm to see how long it takes to heal. Him and his half-sister get taken in um, by their grandma, who's played by uh, Carrie Fox. Uh, We see then Nathan uh, come to the age of 16. He becomes used to this sort of question and answers that he gets from this council representative. He answers them in quite a sarcastic manner. He's presented as a bit of sort of an outsider, a geek at school, but he's drawn to his new classmate, Annalise, who's the daughter of the um, fairborn witch leader, Sol O'Brien, who's played by Paul Reddy. Despite initially being put off by her brother, he forms a friendship with her. This quickly blossoms into something more. However, we see his anger start to intensify. He starts to hear the heartbeats of other people and his signs that the um, these characters have been to look for manifest. He realises that he must escape his current situation and to ultimately discover who he truly is. Sophie, what what did you think of this? Had you you know were you familiar with this before we asked you to watch it? No, this is um it's a young adult series, isn't mm, it? Um, yeah. as it's not really something that I would go out of my way to watch usually, but I love Joe Barton. I mm. love Giri Hadji. I thought the Lazarus Project was amazing. That's like one of my favorite series of this year so far. And I think I enjoyed this for what it was. It's probably not something I'm going to carry on watching because, like I said, it's not really my sort of thing, like a, a young adult series about witches. Mm. But I thought the writing was good. I, I like the main character. I think it's a really good performance from, not sure how this surname's pronounced, but a Jay Lysergo, who I hadn't seen in anything before. Obviously, he's quite young. Um, but yeah, I think he's really likable in the main role. Um, there's a lot to set up in the first episode, as you just had to explain. Yeah. There's all this stuff about the different types of witches. Um, but I think they did, they did a good job of establishing the world. And I quite like it's not like a really sort of high fantasy world. It's basically witches kind of living amongst us. And, you know, the fairborn witches go to school among humans undetected. Um, so there's elements of it that feel, you know, quite sort of grounded compared to watching, you know, just a pure fantasy series. Yeah, I, I, I quite liked it, really. I mean, um, as I said, probably we're not going to carry on watching it, but yeah. I didn't know what to expect and I didn't realise until I started watching it that there was, you know, that it was based on a young adult novel and it had that sort of aspect to it. You know, you could make almost like Twilight type allusions to this, I suppose, but... Um, I think Joe Barton's writing and his adaptation really grounds it, I think, and gives it a sort of a sense of normality. And it becomes like almost like a coming of age thing for Nathan. You know, it's, you know, you get the crush on the girl at school and then it's almost like a forbidden love. 
I liked their chemistry and I really liked Nadia Parks as Annalise. I thought she was really strong. Their sort of relationship almost had like a end of the effing world type quality to it. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, I've seen a few photos like promoting the show where it's the two of them kind of covered in blood and that mm. made me think of the end of the effing world and some of the marketing in general like in um london at the moment there's a lot of posters on the tube for this where it's right. like char- character photos um and yeah a little bit with the music as well it kind of has that sort of vibe but because it's a netflix show it looks a bit more glossy than something like the end of the effing world articles and tweets that i read about the show were mentioning a character who we haven't met yet so there seems to be a character coming up who is like everyone's favorite in the show Um, and we haven't met him I think he's called Gabriel or something like a sort of quite eccentric character Um, so yeah I think I hope the people who usually you know would watch this sort of thing I hope it comes up on their Netflix and they they go for it because I think it is well written and as as you say like Joe Barton his shows have been quite different into you know Giri Hadji is very different from the Lazarus project which is very different to this and he like I think likes to put his mark on this I think there's some great set pieces I thought the scene where Nathan it's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed that's zero ATM fees zero balance requirements and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Brutally beats up Annalise's brother and then you just see the the after effects. I thought that was really well done. And, and the scene earlier where he sort of beats him up with his bicycle as well, you know, the the, the violence is, is very well portrayed when it happens. I thought it had a, a decent tone, and I think they, they put as much lore in as they had to, I suppose, if you're a fan of the book and you're seeking this out. Having read, like, a review of it, apparently the books go quite a lot more into ra- into the racial aspect of it. Um, obviously, you know, Nathan is the only black character in this, and obviously... His father, be it, you know, we're not seen, but presumably was black as well because his mum was white. They apparently in the in the trilogy of books play into that a lot more, which um, people who've gone on say Joe Barton doesn't sort of just sticks to it being sort of like a, a fantasy thing in a way, and just this feud between the, the Blood Witches and and the Fairborn Witches. And I haven't really talked about his sister either, who I thought was really harsh towards him kind of understandably bitter that she kind of sees him as the reason why their mum killed herself um but yeah she hasn't got over it (laughs) after like 18 years and when she becomes a shapeshifter it's like right I will lure you to your almost let you die sort of thing and it that I was just like yeah and again I suppose it plays into that sort of coming of age thing that you don't always get on with your sibling but it's heightened here the other thing in there is like when you get to 17 you get your power and that's why he the things are intensifying in him as he comes of age so apparently halfway through the series they end up in France as well so (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but yeah, no, I think I'm the same as you. I really, I enjoyed this. I think if you if you do like this, as you said, you know, check it out. And I think Joe Barton again is proving to be sort of a very interesting writer with the the projects that he chooses. So that is all on Netflix now for you to gorge on as we get ahead out of spooky season. By the time uh, you'll have heard this, but we're going to keep on that theme with the return of one of our favourite shows, What We Do in the Shadows, and somewhat returning to the conversation the guys in the White Lotus had, everything's on different platforms, how are you supposed to keep up? I do feel a little sorry for people where this one is concerned, because out of the blue, I think last week or early early the week before, I had an email with uh, what's coming to Disney+, and this was on it, and that means it's not coming to the BBC or BBC iPlayer, so a lot of people who love what we do in the shadows won't know that and won't realize that they could see it just have to pay the extra money for disney plus to see it weirdly as well seasons one to three are currently on the iPlayer. seasons three and four are coming to disney plus so it's it is just very strange i suppose the deal with the fx shows where everything's ended up because like better things obviously ended up on iPlayer rather than going to Disney Plus. Okay, so what we do in the shadows, we are actually talking, as Matt said, about season four. As a little reminder, season three ended with Colin Robinson celebrating his 100th birthday and then dying and something awful happening to him, which I don't want to see again in my mind where a load of spiders or a little baby Colin Robinson flew out of his body. It was just awful. Uh, and then because of that, the vampires decide to go their own way. Nandor wants to travel the world and perhaps reconnect with some women and, and get married again. Nadia and Laszlo want to set up on over a trip to go back to England because that's where they feel most at home. But at the last minute, Laszlo changes his mind and chucks uh, Guillermo in his coffin instead and sends them off on a cargo ship. So when this season opens... Laszlo has been raising young baby Colin on his own for the best part of a year. And what they do with baby Colin, as it were, is absolutely amazing. I don't know how old he's supposed to be in this first episode, but I've seen the whole series and and the things they are able to do with that character and, and the kids that play him must have been just so confused. So they've been working, uh, raising him and reading him a ton of books and just trying to shape him and, and Laszlo quite enjoys having a son around. The mansion has gone to rack and ruin and bits of it are falling apart and baby Colin has the thing where he likes to attack his walls with a hammer and stuff. That becomes important later. Nadia and Nandor reappear and Nadia obviously has a vicious sex with their Laszlo because that's what they do when they're together. And Nandor announces that he's going to get married and that he would like Guillermo, who nobody remembers, uh, to be his best man. They they free Guillermo and uh, he's disgusted at the way the place has gone. The first episode is about them sort of reintegrating with each other and Nadia coming up with an idea to run a vampire nightclub through the Vampiric Council. So this episode is very much scene setting. So I wonder what you got from it, Sophie, if anything. Yeah, I just watched this first one, and it yeah, it does feel like they're just sort of bringing the characters back together, really, and, like, setting up what their individual stories are going to be this series, like you said, with the Vampire Nightclub and finding a bride, and then Laszlo doing this sort of, like, nature versus nurture (laughs) experiment with baby Colin Robinson. To be honest, it wasn't my favourite episode. As you say, not much 
really happens in it. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the series. I found the time jump slightly disappointing because it wasn't mm. what I expected. I never really thought there would be a time jump. I just thought we would pick things up where we left off and the vampires would be all kind of separate mm. from each other, doing their own thing this series, even if it was just like one episode and then yeah. they reunited. That felt a little bit underwhelming to me, but, you know, still looking forward to seeing what happens now that they're all back together. I would agree, actually. And I think the problem when you when you separate characters, when you put them all in disparate places, you have that awkwardness of getting them all back together because that's how the show works. That's what the framework of it is and that's how the dynamics work together. So they, they kind of wrote themselves into a corner a tiny bit at the end of three, setting up what we thought was going to happen and then just plonking them back in the same setting felt a little bit, as you say, disappointing. I probably would feel a bit lower on this episode had I only just watched it, but I, as I said, I watched a lot more. In fact, the whole series as it happened. I think it's a really strong season of what we do in The Shadows. They do some great stuff. The arc of baby Colin Robinson on its own is fantastic. They do a great um, sort of Property Brothers spin-off called uh, Go yep. Flip Yourself. What? No, I was trying to remember what that was called. Where, uh, where, because um, the, the, the mansion, as I said, is has been wrecked. That they bring these guys into. To I've sort of I've watched that's the that's the second episode, isn't it? And yeah. I have watched that. They also uh, they have a, a a lamp, a genie in a lamp that gives mm. Laszlo a bunch of wishes. So that that's, they, ep- they... that's episode two as well. So they do an awful lot, which in, in truth I'd ask you to watch more than one. But it is a really strong season of what we do in The Shadows. I think this first episode is awkward because, as I say, they have to get them all back together and that's never going to be that interesting. But it was necessary. Uh, Matt, you watched more. How did you feel? I wasn't as pleased with that last season as I was the first to absolutely love season one and two. I thought season three, Nandor and Nadia were together almost in every episode and they had... Laszlo and Colin Robinson together. Obviously, that played itself out by the end. He realised he was going to die and was trying to give him like his best final moments. But certainly the mid bit of that season felt quite lower quality than, than it had been previous. But from what I've seen so far, this is a return to form. I know there's mm. a, there is a bit of an over-reliance on physical comedy, certainly in these first two episodes, with the, the house falling apart, people falling through the floorboards, everything's flooded beneath them. Yeah. Uh, there's raccoons running <laughs> everywhere. They realise now that the the combinations that work are Laszlo and Nadia together and Nando and Guillermo together. And I think there was a lack of Guillermo in the last season as well. I think he is like the strongest character um, or one of the strongest characters anyway. And it's certainly the sort of the heart of the series. And it seems like you'll get to see some more of his personal life in this season as well. Is that well, right? Yeah, I wanted to touch on that without spoiling yeah. it. Obviously, um, he's gay and there's a great episode where he comes out to his family, but they're not that bothered. They're sort of more bothered that he's living with vampires when they've got all this vampire killing blood in them. So that's really well handled. And we see him have a relationship slightly in this episode. And that go- that is a truly fascinating and clever thing that they do when when uh, Guillermo introduces the house to his boyfriend it is it is not the direction I thought it was going to go and it is so clever and so delicately handled I th- I think they did a really excellent job on it Sophie well, how do you feel about this being on Disney Plus do you subscribe yeah I'm subscribed already it's 
is the new series not going to be on BBC no. iPlayer at no. all? No. Very weird. I know. Hopefully Very they odd. put it on the homepage or something so people see it, that it's new. Or, you know, maybe more people will find it via this because perhaps Disney Plus is a bit more common than... I know everyone technically has BBC iPlayer because it's, like, you mm. know, free. But I don't think people necessarily go there looking for new stuff like they do with Netflix. So no, maybe with right. Disney Plus, it might get some more new viewers, hopefully. It is, as Matt says, a bit of a return to form, though. I didn't have as many issues with the third series as you did, but I see your point. And I think they, they've got the dynamics right. They play with the vampires a lot. There's a great episode where they try to enrol young Colin Robinson in the school. And just the way that the whole... <laughs> The way that the whole Colin Robinson story evolves and changes and, and puts pressure on them all is just brilliant because they're raising this young kid in the house. It's really interesting and, and one of the most unique comedies on television. And besides anything else, it's really, really funny. I laugh mm. consistently what, through what we do in the shadows. As I said to you a few weeks ago, um, when I went to see my friend who, li- who lives in the Peak District, we watched certainly most of season one and two with her 12-year-old son, and he absolutely yeah. loved it. He loved Colin Robinson, so presumably baby Colin Robinson oh. will be... And that actor as well, because he's doing all the sort of the facial acting on it. Yes. Just... <laughs> so clever. Um, that must be quite it. hard to do, like, we're imposing your face on a, on yeah, a child. It's... Can you remind me when it is actually going up on Disney+. It will be Wednesday, the sec- so today when this comes out, Wednesday the 2nd. Yeah, we always assume people immediately yeah. listen. To Wednesday the, the 2nd. Books. Well, it'll be up there sort of now, yeah. as will the next show that you're going to be talking about. The next one comes to us from Hulu. It is called Reboot, and it is about a reboot, but not of a show we've already seen. Sophie is going to explain how this one works. Yeah, this stars Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend as a writer called Hannah, Um, The first episode starts with her pitching a reboot to Hulu, a reboot of this sort of broad family sitcom called Step Right Up, which she wants to bring back and make sort of edgy. It gets greenlit and all of the former cast members agree to come back. They're played by uh, Keegan-Michael Key, Judy Greer, Johnny Knoxville and Callum Worthy, who I didn't know the name of, but I recognised him from American Vandal Series 1. So the cast all reunite. They're all very excited about this reboot. You know, they've got these new edgy scripts. They think this reboot is so much better than the show used to be. Um, But then the network seemingly gets cold feet, and they decide to bring back the former showrunner. So um, Hannah has to work with this guy, and there's a bit of a twist at the end of the episode where it's revealed that they have a bit of a an unexpected history with each other and there is actually a personal reason why hannah wanted to reboot this sort of you know forgotten sitcom did you only watch episode one uh i watched a bit of episode two um just because i found the twist really weird and i wanted to see where that was going Mm, um mm. episode two it's a bit more sort of you know they're starting to make the show uh, a woman from like a reality TV show I gets cast and you can't act. Um, and yeah, I, I watched some of episode two, um, but not yeah. all of it so far. The reality show she's on, Matt, can you remember what that's called? Yes, it's Fuck Buddy <laughs> Island. Yeah, it's called that Kimberly. Is, that, that is Kimberly. mad. 
that is mad except that there is an HBO Max reality show called F Boy Island which is what this is based off of yeah. so and it's, it's mad um, like, it felt to me very much like a 30 rock joke that did Yes. Yeah, a, a, a few bits of it felt quite thirty yeah. rock, like the um, the guy who was the kid in the sitcom who's now an adult and has been starring in all these really awful like teen movies. I think one of them was called Kid Congressman, mm. and mm. one is called The Hunchback of Notre Dame High, and like you <laughs> see these like awful posters. But then that is very much those sort of Disney Channel movies yeah. that you used to get yeah. around that time, isn't it? So this has got you written all over it. It's got Rachel Bloom from My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's got Stephen Levitan from Frasier and Modern Family. How did you get on? Um, I didn't love it. I liked parts of it, and I thought other parts of it were a bit weird, just based on what I've seen so far. I think I'm probably going to carry on watching it, because it's only 20-minute episodes. I'm not watching that many kind of short comedies at the moment, so I'm going to see where it goes. I quite liked... Like we said before, the the almost sort of thirty rock esque jokes about like the TV industry, those sort of insidery jokes, like about the um the child star, the guy who commissions the reboot from Hulu is like, I'm edgy. You're looking at the guy who commissioned season five <laughs> of The Handmaid's Tale, mm. like those sort of remarks. I think at one point there's an executive. I think this might be an episode two actually. One of the executives says um oh, I'm new to humour, and then it's revealed that she's the vice president of comedy. Um, I I quite like that sort of thing. I think what was less strong for me was the actual characters. It's quite distracting that Johnny Knoxville is in it, because (laughs) I know he has acted in stuff before, but I just only see him as Johnny Knoxville, and his character is introduced by him jumping in front of a moving car, which feels very like deliberate because he's Johnny Knoxville but he's not playing himself um Mm. so that was quite odd and some of the stuff about like Judy Greer's character being a duchess was quite strange and not I didn't find that particularly funny yeah just the characters I kind of wanted more like maybe if we'd seen a bit more of them in episode one like before they came to the reboot possibly because we meet them like as they're reuniting like maybe if we'd seen their lives a little bit more like what the situation was for them and why they kind of agreed to do the reboot possibly no i agree completely in fact i think i said to you on twitter when it came up and you said i just need to see this and i said Unfortunately, it's not very good, and I had only yeah, seen episode one. Yeah, you said it was one. awful. Yeah, and I did, I so, did find episode honest. one really crass, sort of using language that you wouldn't have been able to use on network TV a lot, mm. and it just seemed really sort of trying to be edgy and out there when it wasn't. I agree entirely about Johnny Knoxville. I could not see him as anything other than the guy from Jackass. Doesn't matter how grey his hair is, he'll always be Johnny Knoxville. And I don't think it works that I'm too aware of who these people are. Judy Greer, of course, Keegan-Michael Key. I, I needed some sort of non-famous people to be in this role for me to lose myself in it entirely. However, I watched the second one um, because I thought I should, because that would be my review. And I didn't think that was fair. So I watched the second one and they do do some really interesting things with the the reality show contestant who is actually trying to improve herself and, and the way that she transforms is quite interesting. I think parts of it really work. I think any time they make fun of the TV industry, it's fun. 
I like seeing the show made and the live studio audience going in and all that sort of thing appeals to the TV nerd in me. As you say, though, I think the character stuff isn't that well drawn. I think the twist isn't that interesting or that necessary. I kind of I wanted to like this more, and it, for some reason it just didn't grip me. And I've barely seen anything written about it either, which I thought was strange given the talent both in front of and behind the camera. It just seems to have been this thing in the US that's on but nobody seems to be talking about, which is another bad sign, I think. It's a really odd one, this, because the sitcom itself, the step right up, feels like it's from the 1980s. Or yeah, like yeah. Full house. Full it's house supposed to be the early 2000s. Yeah. And like early 2000s, we had stuff like Malcolm in the Middle and Arrested Development. And those were sort of like the family sitcoms. The character of Zach says he's like 24 in the second episode. And I'm thinking, well, then that would have made you what he was meant to be like eight in 2002. Um, it just the, the timeness of it didn't work for me. You know, these characters should be a lot older, but because of the age of the actors it doesn't all sort of tie together for me i, I mean i quite like that duchess thing but that sort of that was more of almost like an arrested development type joke yeah i suppose um, it was a bit different because i think yeah. with keegan mike thinking about keegan michael key's character i feel like that's a character i've seen before it's like the trained actor who thinks he's kind of above doing the sitcom and he quit to pursue a movie career but nothing happened like mm. it just it doesn't feel that unique to me I guess with the Duchess stuff at least it is like something different I yeah. guess also it does feel a bit like Stephen Levington criticizing the current TV landscape you know there's the character Elaine who's there saying you know this tested well with 65 percent you know we've got this actress from this character from a reality show who's not an actress but certain percentage of people will like her and identify with her there does feel that that element of it like almost like i can't get as much made as i used to because all these things now you know it's almost like tv by percentage rather than you know you can just write something and it it comes to the screen all the actors seem to be playing characters that you would expect them to play so you know keegan michael key's self-important johnny knoxville as you say is this almost like a reformed wild man you know he's went to be like an edgy comedian but got embroiled in like drink and drugs judy Greer's is very much this sort of uppity character who's now worried about how old she is and in, in the second episode it's a very sort of traditional sitcom trope wasn't it luke where she told uh it's like threatened to, by the younger woman mm, yeah so she told her to ignore everything that that keegan michael key's character reed had told her to do meaning that her her acting uh was awful again and there was the sort of coming together with the father and daughters i like paul riser play, playing a very sort of paul risery role as well it's a weird mix of everything together and it's that i'm sure there is, there's a good idea in there but was sort of less than the sum of its parts, really, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, something yeah. else that's a bit weird is I read, I think, an interview with, I think it was Rachel Bloom a few weeks ago where she was talking about the show. And it seemed, she seemed quite focused on, or maybe the interviewer was quite focused on how it's about young comedy writers working with old sort of more like hack comedy writers from what i've seen of the show so far that hasn't happened yet so i don't know if that's going to be a big theme of the show but 
yeah, that was what kind of piqued my interest because I was like, oh, that sounds interesting because, you know, maybe like hacks, like it's about, you know, a writer's room and, you know, these different viewpoints, like generational stuff. But uh, yeah, mm. so that's kind of what I was expecting from the start. And then the weird twist made me think like, oh, OK, it's not that they're against each other because the age difference. It's like a whole other reason why they're like hating mm. working together. It was it was unexpected. But it's a shame given the caliber of talent involved in it that it doesn't it's in a weird way it feels like a network sitcom where they take Mm. a while to find out who these people are and bed in and i suppose we're used to now in the streaming era and and hacks and things we're used to things arriving more fully formed and rather than waiting like we used to say or skip the first season of this because it doesn't find its feet until season two or three so yeah, strange one. I expected more. I really didn't enjoy the first one. There were some glimmers of hope in the second, but, you know, I've got enough to watch and I don't know whether I will continue on. What about you, Matt? Does it make a tier of your list? I don't think so, no. And I did I did give it the two episodes, I think, purely as, as Sophie said, that you get that twist at the end of episode one and you, you're compelled to at least find out how they deal with that. But by the end of episode two it almost seems like everything's been resolved and um, like a traditional sitcom really you know they're sort of mocking the traditional sitcom while being a traditional sitcom at the same mm. time and it doesn't quite work and it doesn't quite so no is the answer to your question yes that i will just cut all the rest of it out and edit down to the no <laughs> um, <laughs> so that is the podcast this week thank you for listening thank you for joining us sophie we now know that frazier is happening at paramount plus are you still as nervous? Yeah, because it's just going to be him, isn't it? I think it's been specified that the others aren't coming back. You know, maybe there'll be yeah. cameos or something. But yeah, Frasier was never really about just Frasier. And, you know, as a personality, Kelsey Grammer is not the most likable person nowadays. No. So, yeah, I'll give it a watch. But yeah, I just feel like I have, you know, Joey in the back of my head and mm. how that turned out where they were like, let's yeah. take this one character from an ensemble sitcom yeah. and put him with a load of new characters. Um, yeah. Is it in Seattle, do we know? No. It's I don't not. Well, think so, no. See, the only thing that we know about it from press releases and stuff is that it sees Frasier moving to a new city to do a new project. So it's not well, he moved, in. didn't he, at the end of Frasier? I can't remember where he moved to, but that was the him leaving Seattle was the end of the show, wasn't it? And um, to be so much older, it's oh, I don't want it, I don't want it. Um, but yeah, and as you say, Kelsey Grammer being quite a problematic character since the show ended, I don't quite know how I'm gonna lose myself with him being Frasier again. So speaking of reboots, that is one that we'll probably most likely cover on the podcast, most likely with Sophie, but one I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> um so that is the podcast this week. Remind us, Sophie, where can people find you if they want to know what musicals you've just been to? Um they can find me on Twitter at it's Sophie Davis. And the podcast It's an S Pod thing and Prawns in a Mookie Basket can be found anywhere you get podcasts from mm-hmm. just go looking for them we're here weekly the site is up com. if you would like to give your two pennies your views on shows in the coming weeks we would love to have new people on as well as as the reliable lot you can go uh, onto the website and hit the join our team or you can visit at custard tv pod or at luke custard tv on twitter 
or at Matt's TV Bites on Twitter or at uh, our email address Custard TV Reviews with an S at gmail.com. There are so many ways to get in touch. We're almost embarrassed that you haven't done it already. So please mm. get in touch with us. Get over uh, yourself also, and do it. <laughs> also, rate and review and subscribe uh, to the podcast if you haven't. Please write us a, a kind review. We'd love for more people to know that we do this and that we exist. And as I say, the website is thecustardtv.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sophie. Take care. Bye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.